theyeshiva.net. There's some people here who used to sit and learn with me many, many years ago, like two decades ago. So welcome back, everybody. <laughs> huh? 60 years, huh? What? Oh, very good, very good. Very good. <laughs> okay, I'm going to give a little introduction to this contrast and some historical uh, information, and then we'll begin inside. The Rebbe Rayatz, the Rebbe Rayatz, the Friedrich Rebbe, as you probably know, in his last years, he did not say Maimarim because of his physical condition. He, he was very ill, so it was very difficult for him to speak verbally, even though he did. He wrote extensively, but the Rebbe Rayatz was unfortunately paralyzed from the second half of his body down due to many illnesses, and his com- verbal communication was also very, very difficult. So he, at some point in the later 1940s, he did not say Maimarim. What he would do, though, was for every yomta, for a significant date, he would publish a Maimar in writing. This was a Maimar that he said in earlier years, but he wrote it and he published it. This was for special days, whether it was Hanukkah, Purim, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Simchas Torah, a yard site, and so forth. The Friedrich Rebbe's grandmother's yard site is Yud Shvat, the Rebbe Maharash's wife. Her name was Rebbe Rivka, which means his father's mother. She passed away, Yud Shvat Tofresh Ayin Dalad, 1914, in Lubavitch, where she's buried. His mother's yard site is three days later, Yud Gimel Shvat, Rebbe Tzinshter Nesara, who's buried right near the Eichel, that's the Rebbe Rashab's wife. She passed away in New York, Tovshin Bays, 1942, Yud Gimel Shvat. So for that date, Tovshin Yud, 1950, the Friedrich Rebbe gave out a mimer that he said back in Tovshin Pei Gimel. He said it in 1923 in Russia. But he gave it to publish Tovshin Yud for the yard site of his grandmother. Yud Shvat. And the second part for the yard of his mother, Yud Gimel Shvat. And the third part for Purim. And the fourth part for Beis Nissen, which is his father's yard set, the Rebbe Rashab. The Maime consists of 20 chapters. So the first five he gave out for his grandmother's yard site, the second five for his mother's yard site, the third five for Purim that year, a month later, and the last five, 5, 10, 15, 20, for his fa- father's yard set, Beis Nissen. This is all Tov Shinyud, 1950. The Maimah began, begins with the Posik of Shir Hashirim, Basi Legani Achaisi Kala. That's the opening of the Maimah. And the Rebbe, the Rebbe Rayatz gave it to publish uh, a few days before his grandmother's yard site. The Rebbe was then, his son-in-law, the Rebbe was in charge of Kahasi. He was in charge on all the publications. He would write footnotes to the Maimarim, and he was in charge on publishing it. So it was published, and it came out Friday, Erev Shabbos, Tes Shvat. Shabbos was Yud Shvat, Shabbos Parsha's boy. Erev Shabbos was Tes Shvat, and the Maimah came out. I saw the original pamphlet. Actually, the word Shlita is missing a Yud. In the original one, the word Shlita was a printing. The word Shlita of the Friedrich Rebbe was missing a Yud. So the Olam learned the Maimah that Shabbos, Friday night. Shabbos morning... The Rebbe Rayat passed away, 10 to 8 in the morning in his room, upstairs on the second floor of 770. 
So it turned out that he gave out a maimer to learn on the Shabbos of his own histalkos, which was the yard site of his grandmother, which was Yutzvat. His became his own yard site. So the Rebbe published, of course, the second maimer for Yud Gimel Shvat. It begins Hayusheves Beganim, and then a month later he published the third the third section. It's called the Hemshech. It was a series of twenty chapters, and for Beis Nissen he published the last five, and that became known as the Hemshech Basi Legani Tavshin Yud. The next year, the first yard site. So a few days before the yard site, the Rebbe suggested that in honor of the yard site, everybody should learn this Maimer Basi Legani Tavshin Yud, and you should even review it in Shul before Ma'ariv, before Shachris, before Mincha Yud Shvat. At the Fabrengen of Yud Shvat Tavshin Yud, the Rebbe officially accepted the leadership of Chabad, he never said my modern before. He only said Sichas. But that Fabrengen, the Rebbe said his first Maimer. And what was the opening of the Maimer? It was that Maimer that the Rebbe, the Friedrich Rebbe, gave out to learn one year earlier. So the Rebbe started, you can hear the tape of it. Bosi Legani Achaisi Kala. Tovshin Yer Aleph, one year later, 1951. The Rebbe started to cry when he started the Maimer, and you could hear even on the tape, or well, the MP3 today, the commotion in shul, because it was, it was, everybody was shocked because it ever refused to accept the leadership a whole year. This was like a, a spontaneous and obviously historic moment. Probably most people didn't realize how historic at the time. So the Rebbe said the Maimer. He stopped a few times and he asked that they should sing a nigan of every one of the Rabbeim from the Balshemtev all the way to the Friedrich Rebbe. They sang, in the middle of the Maimer, he took breaks to sing all the Nigunim. And in the Maimer, he mentioned each one of them, and he told a story about each one of them, and he, he discussed a teaching of each one of them. But the main focus was on chapter 1, Perik Aleph, the first Perik of Basilagani. The next year, Tovshin Yud Beis, at the Fabreng, and the Rebbe again said the Maimer Basilagani, but now his main focus was chapter 2. And they realized every year he would dedicate the Maimur to explore that one chapter. Now the Maimurim were long and very, very elaborate and very deep. And the Rebbe showed and revealed the depth of that single chapter of that year. Tovshin Chav Beis, 1962, was of course the 12th year. So the focus was Perikid Beis. And each year, that's how the Maimur Basi Lagani, everybody knew at the Fabrengen, the Rebbe is going to summarize till the chapter first five minutes of the Maimer, and then the rest of it is going to be going into that chapter with incredible, incredible depth. The Basilagani Maimarim were historical Maimarim because the Rebbe was meticulous. Two things, to give a teaching of each one of the Rebbes. He wouldn't do that at other Maimarim. He went from the Balshamtiv and he would tie it all together. It was obvious because it was like a Maimer that wasn't just a regular Maimer, it was the Maimer of Yud which represented the dynasty of Chassidus from the Balshamtiv all the way to the Rebbe. And number two, the structure was always built on the structure of the, of the Rebbe Rayats. So the Maimur was built. It was like a piece of architect, spiritual architecture, architecture every single year. And the, because the Maimur of Basilagani is so fundamental and profound, so each year there were new chidushim and ideas that came out that really explored some of the fundamental ideas of Chassidus. Tovshin Chavbeis, 62, was chapter 12. Tovshin Lamed, 1970, it finished. Because 20 years. So that year, Yutshvat, the Rebbe finished Perik Chav. Tovshin Lamed Aleph, 1971, he began again. He started again, chapter 1. 
And this went on, Tavshin Lamed Beis, chapter 2, Lamed Gimel. It's very easy because it works with the letters, right? Yud Aleph, Yud Beis, Yud Gimel, Yud Dalet, it's all it's consistent. Tavshin Memches, the Rebbe stopped saying my marim. A few months after the passing of his wife, he stopped saying my marim. So the last chapter that he that he ever got to was Yud Ches. He didn't finish Yud Tes and Chav because the next two years, 1989-1990, the Rebbe did not say my marim anymore. The last maimer he said was summer, Shabbos Chukas Tavshin Memches. And then he stopped saying my marim. It was only a few times that he did it afterwards, Erev Pesach, Erev Shvuas, Achrin Shal Pesach, but only a few, three or four afterwards. So he stopped at Perik Yitches, Tavshin Memches. But, obviously, the Oilam learned it, and he also published, the next two years he published Maimarim, from the previous years, Mugadik edited Maimarim. So Tavshin Memtes, Tavshin Nun, it stopped, it finished, the second cycle finished. Tavshin Nun Aleph, the third cycle finished. The Rebbe already didn't say my modem anymore, but the third cycle, the third cycle res, uh, began again, sorry. So again, Ois Aleph. So that's why for this year, which is Tavshin Pei Beis, Tavshin Pei Beis, if you'll see in the opening, in their, in their introduction, they say that now we're on the fourth cycle, because the first cycle finished in 1970. Right? The second cycle finished 1990, and then it went for another 20 years, which finished in... Uh, see, now already it doesn't go so easy for me. <laughs> you know what happens, right? 2010, Yeshikayach, Tov Shanayin. So that finished, this, the, the, that finished the, third, the third cycle, and the fourth cycle began 2011. Thank you. Tov Shanayin Aleph. Since this is Tavshin Pei Beis, so this year again is the fourth time, Peirik Yud Beis. So that's why they published my Mori Basilagani Tavshin Chav Beis, Tavshin Mem Beis. Because Tavshin Chav Beis was cycle number one, Tavshin Mem Beis was cycle number two, and both of them, the Rebbe said a Maimah, that focused on chapter 12 of Basilagani. That's why Tavshin Chav Beis, Tavshin Mem Beis. Since this year is 60 years since Tavshin Chav Beis, and 40 years since Tavshin Membeis, right? So Bemela, that's this year, was again this Oisyud Beis. So we're going to learn the Maimer of Tavshin Chav Beis, Beis Hashem Yisbarach. That's, that's an introduction so you understand why this Maimer was chosen. Now, What's the difference between a Maimer and a Sikha? The difference between a Maimer and a Sikha very briefly is the Chabad Rebbes had two ways in which they communicated their Torah. The first way was a mimer that was already instituted by the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, which was basically a designated presentation to explain a sugya, a theme in Chassidus. So it may be dealing with the purpose of creation, or maybe dealing with struggles in life, or maybe talking about the human personality, or talking about the purpose of Torah, or the meaning of mitzvahs, or the purpose of life, or things like exploring different stories in Torah were different themes in the world of Chassidus, right? About Hashem, about the relationship of Hashem with the world, about existence, about Golos, whatever the sugya is, like we learned from the Alter Rebbe, the Maimarim. So that continued throughout all the generations. And the Rebbe also, at every Fabrengen, there was a designated portion. It could be t- 20 minutes, and it could be an hour, somewhere in between. He would close his eyes, they would sing a nigan before. It was extremely... You could sense the spiritual energy in the room. 
The Rebbe would tie a handkerchief on his finger, like his predecessors would do. Everybody would stand up. He would close his eyes and he would start a mime and it had a special melody. And his eyes were closed. And you could see there was a, it, was very, uh, it was very emotional. It was very in, spiritually intense. That was a mime. A sicha means a talk. So that was much more, uh, I don't want to say loose conversation, but it was much more not fixed on any specific topic. It could be, a t- first of all, the, song, the tune was different. His eyes were open. The Rebbe could say stories in the middle, could say a joke, could discuss halacha, kabbalah, nigla, parshas hashavua, a holiday, uh, contemporary events, future of the Jewish people, Israel, education, things that are connected to the Jewish people, or discuss really almost any topic under the sun, make a siyam on a mesechta, discuss a rashi in the parsha, a zoyar, a rambam, uh, a sugi, nigla, and chsidus, and kabbalah, and halacha. There was no uh, fixed structure. Sometimes talk about very personal things. Sometimes talk about challenges that have to be dealt with problems. That was a sicha. So that had no. That had a much looser structure. In one fabreng, the Rebbe could say ten sichas and one maimer. There was one section that was a maimer. He would motion. They should sing a nigan. They would start a nigan. Everybody knew it was going to be a maimer. They would stand up. That's the basic... Uh, Brief difference between the two. It's clear. Anybody has any questions? A mimer would be prepared ahead of time. Mark? Did Rebbe prepared his mimerim? Yeah. yeah, he Rebbe prepared his mimerim ahead of time. Exactly when and how that I, I don't know. Yeah. Would be more... No, a he also he also used to prepare. Okay. There was a lot that he would say spontaneously. You saw it, but the structure I think he prepared before. It seemed to me that it was prepared. Yeah. Not every word, but the themes were prepared. He would prepare what Rashi is going to talk about. What this mimer, Tavshin Chavbeis, is an incredibly deep mimer. I'm saying this because every mimer is deep, but this is a really—it's an extremely deep mimer, very deep, extremely profound. It's also very intricate. There's a lot in it, and it explores some fundamental ideas that the Rebbe Rayat, the previous Rebbe, touches in his Maimer, chapter 12, and the Rebbe really elaborates on it. Now, it would be very, there's two ways of learning. You know, there's zooming in and there's zooming out, right? Some teachers are good in one, some are good in the other, some are not good in either, but we won't go there. And uh, each one has an advantage. Zooming, in, zooming out, you know, you don't focus on the, on the tree, you focus on the forest. You get a full picture. But the problem is, every tree is so precious. So when you just give a picture of the forest, it's beautiful, but the forest is made up of trees. The problem is when you zoom in, people just see one tree, and some people just see one leaf and one branch. They don't get the whole forest. That's the problem with a lot of learning. People either zoom in, which is wonderful, but they don't zoom out. So they lack that broadness, that expansiveness, you know, the mosaic, the art. You know, you could zoom in in this room right into the light bulb. You could do it, and it's a beautiful light bulb. But, uh, you know, there's much more, right? You could zoom out, but there's nuances. Every mime is that way also. And uh, it's always, uh, as, as a teacher myself, that's what I do, I always have the struggle because some audiences, I'll never zoom in. 
Because the moment you zoom in, they all zoom out. <laughs> that worked. <laughs> so you have to stay, you have to zoom out, and then maybe they'll zoom in for a few minutes, because, you know, it's a, it's a very rich picture. On the other hand, right, when you just zoom out and give a picture, you don't really, you're not typhus, grasp the the richness of the details, of the nekudas, of how they come out. So it's, it's, it's an, it's, it's a tension. By the Rebbe, the Maimarim, and all the Sikhs have both. That was his, one of the uniqueness of the Rebbe's teachings. And everything in Yiddishkeit. He always zoomed out. There was a broadness that was infinite. But always zoomed in also. In other words, very much focusing and, and finding it within nuances and details. And the truth is, that it says, Adam. Torah is compared to a person. Same thing is with biology. You can zoom out and you see a beautiful body. But the truth is, every single cell contains the genome, as they call, they call it, which is really has in it a blueprint of the entire body. So the smallest prat has the whole klal, and the biggest klal is reflected in the smallest prat. So there is this, uh, this combination of two. So a few days I was debating, because this mimer, it's very easy to go both ways. But I decided that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, I, I like, I like the real thing. I like, uh, I like the real thing. So just to zoom out and just say some general ideas, although may be very appropriate, but I would rather do that after zooming in. The reason I'm saying this is because people learn and they get caught up in details. And they don't allow themselves to get to the end and really master the full picture. When you do, and you study the trees, and then from there you see the forest, it's an incredible experience, spiritually, intellectually, and emotionally. And this mimer is certainly no exception, especially this mimer, because it really gives us a sweeping perspective on some of the fundamental ideas that have been transmitted over the generations, beginning with the Alter Rebbe. Specifically, it deals with, it tackles, or it confronts one of the chidushim of the Alter Rebbe in Kabbalah, known as Oyr, light. That will be explained at length. The Rebbe Rashab writes in Tofresh Samachvav, in his Hemshot Tofresh Samachvav, that Rabbeinu Zechroyne Levrocha Chidush Inyin HaOyr, that our Rebbe, meaning the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, was Mechadish. He introduced the concept, the reality called Oyr, light. Now, what does that mean? The Alter Rebbe didn't have to introduce the concept of light. Light is discussed in the beginning of Parshas Bereshis. But because of a tremendous debate in Kabbalah, which we're going to be dealing with, about the ultimate relationship between a person and the ultimate truth of Hashem, it's where the Alter Rebbe's idea of Oyr became so fundamental, which is why the word Oyr is the most frequent, or one of the most frequent words used in Chassidus. So people have heard Oyr, Oyr, but really in this Maimer, the Rebbe gets to the bottom of it. What is this oil that the Alter Rebbe was mechadish? And the biggest thing is that I found is that at the end of the Maimer, it's from the few places that the Rebbe explained it in Avoida. Which means sometimes, this is a tragedy, people don't realize how relevant Chassidus is to life. There's people here who started to learn Chassidus only in recent years. There's people here who learned Chassidus for 20 years. But sometimes the people who learned it recently are much more excited about it. Because people who learned it for so many years, they never saw that it was really relevant to life. They shut down. It's like, okay, more information. I'm not the guy who's interested in all this spiritual information. 
So whenever it's not applied to life, we really miss the, the, the core essence of it all. And that's very, very sad. I personally find it very tragic and sad that so many Chabad Yungalite, their appreciation of Chassidus at best is, uh, is not very enthusiastic. And at worst, it's seen as something completely or almost completely irrelevant, just esoteric stuff. And it's really a crime against humanity <laughs> because, uh, because this is oxygen. If you, if you know how to learn it and you know what's in it, it's oxygen. Especially in today's day and age where everybody is dealing with stuff, whether you're in denial or not in denial, but everybody is dealing with stuff and the oxygen of chassidus is incredibly, incredibly invigorating. Emes? Huh? And he didn't grow, and he didn't grow up with it. <laughs> So in this Maimed, the end of the Maimed, the Rebbe takes the concept of Ur, which is a deep Indian in Askala, which means it's a deep Indian in Chesidus Chabad that's abstract, L'cha'ir abstract. And he shows the application to the Alter Rebbe's Chiddush and Ur, how it changes and gives a whole deeper dimension to how you understand your life. And Avaydah Sadam. And that's really where it comes together in an incredible way. Okay. So this was a little bit of a brief introduction. And now let's begin... Inside, Yud Shvat Tavshin we're starting on Amit Tess. Amit Tess in this Kuntras, you see the headline, Yud Shvat Tavshin which means it's a transcript, but it was not edited by the Rebbe. The Rebbe did not want, when things were written without his, him editing it, that it should be attributed to him, that he takes responsibility, because this is written the way how people understood it. So that's why it says Bilti Muga, which means it was not looked over or edited by the Rebbe himself. Page Tess, Hanacha Biltimug. I'm just explaining why it says that in the parentheses. Even though there's a tape, so it's, 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 it's accurate. It wasn't, this is not written from memory. It's written, it's written from the tape, but still it's, it's the way it's written down by a person, the people who, 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 you know, reflected on it and transcribed it to the best of their ability. So that's the qualification, Hanacha Biltimug. This is a pasuk from Shir Hashirim, the beginning of chapter 5, which is, of course, a song, a poem, that describes the deep relationship of Anila Doidi Vidoidi Li, me and my beloved and my beloved and me. And at one moment, the beginning of chapter 5, the groom, the Doidi, says, Basi Lagani, I came to my garden. I wanted to be with my sister, my bride. And he describes how he came to the garden and he filled himself with the fragrance of the garden. He ate the honey in the garden and he he took the perfume of the garden. And then the next scene right after that is he, he, he knocks on the door of the Kala to, to bring her out and she says, I can't open the door for you because... Uh, I already I took off my shirt. I already washed my feet to go to sleep. And he's banging on the door. You know the nigin That's the continuation of the story, the delicate and powerful relationship between Anila Doidi Vidoidi Li. So the Maimer begins with this pasuk: I came to my garden to be with my achaisi, my sister, and Kalo, my Kalab, the bride. So the Balai Lula, which means, of course, the person whose yard site is today, explains which Maimer, the Maimer of Tavshin Yud, 
Al Yisoyed Maimon Medrash, quoting based on what the Medrash says. The Medrash Rabbah on Shir Hashirim, it's called Shir Hashirim Rabbah, says, Lagani Lignuni. The Medrash says, Lagani means my garden. But Lagani also has another meaning, Lignuni. Lignuni is the term that's used for a chuppah. In, in the times of the Gemara, in the times of the Medrash, in ancient times, the Chassan and the Kala, for the first seven days after their wedding, they would spend time, they had a special chuppah, like a special private canopy, a tent, a pavilion that was built for the Chassan and the Kala, and that's where they spent a week, sometimes more, and that's where the friends would come throughout the day and the night to, to feast with them, to drink with them, Sheva Brachas, and of course at some time they would retire there alone and everybody would leave. So Ligani means Lignuni, not only my garden, but Lignuni means my chuppah. And that's where the Chassan and the Kala would spend their time in the beginning of the wedding till they got a house, this was their permanent place. Why is this so important? A garden you can visit for 20 minutes. You take a stroll in the garden. You sit on a bench. You look at the flowers, at the lilies, at the roses. But if you say Ligani is Lignuni, so then it means it's the place where the chassan hangs out. This is the place where he's there. This is where he is day and night. He doesn't go anywhere else. So when Hashem says, I came to my chuppah, it means Lamakim Shaya Ikri Betchila. This is the place where my presence was primarily stationed. The Iker That's the Chiddush of the Medrash. That Hashem is saying that the essence of the Shechina used to be in this world. And finally I came back to the place where I used to hang out. This is what Shleim HaMelech is writing. Rashi says he's talking about the day that he built the Beis HaMikdash. So Hashem said, Basi Legani, I came back to my Gani, to my garden, and Lignuni, to my Chuppah, which means because this is where I used to be. The Iker Shechina B'Tachtoinim So what happened? Because of human behavior, which was not aligned with the Divine Presence, so the Shechina, the Shechina was, so to speak, expelled. It was, it was uh, dismissed, dismissed from human consciousness. It, this is interesting. In Zoyar it says that after Adam and Chava ate from the tree, the puzzle says, Vayigoresh Adam. He chased away, Vayigoresh Adam from the Gan Eden. So the Zoyar says it's not clear in Diktuk who chased away who. Did God chase away man? Or did man chase away God? <laughs> so the Zoyar brings it. Belezer said that the Pshat and Torah is not that Hashem chased away Adam from Gan Eden. Adam chased away Hashem from Gan Eden. <laughs> it's a different interpretation. Which basically means that uh, Hashem didn't chase away the person from Gan Eden. The person could be in Gan Eden whenever he wants. It's the person who chased away God from Gan Eden. So Melitz, Oiz Gan Eden, and became a Gehenna. The person often uh, disassociates and dismisses their, the, the divine presence from their life, from their home. Right? A very practical example for that is sometimes you're living in an environment and the environment is a very peaceful and beautiful place. And because of certain behaviors or certain attitudes, I expel that energy. It's like, <laughs> this, you expel that energy. Sometimes we do it consciously, sometimes we do it unconsciously. But the results are very obvious, and it becomes a very uptight place. Anybody knows what I'm talking about? doesn't happen in Pomona, only in my neck of the woods, maybe. Okay. Then came seven tzaddikim. What do you mean tzaddikim? They were people whose consciousness was open to the Shechina, so they started to bring down the Shechina downward, seven tzaddikim. Ad Moshe Rabbeinu, Reyen Nemen shall call Yisrael, the shepherd, the faithful shepherd, Shu Ashvi, v'kol Ashvi in Chavivin, Shem Shechis Hashechina Medikiyah, Al-Varish Hazu, Itachlis, Inyan Shehidir, Eloh Yisbarach Batachtayim. 
It says the seventh Sadiqim were Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Levi, Kahas, Amram, and the seventh is Moshe. The Medrash says all seventh are beloved. Each Sadiq brought the Shekhinah down from uh, heaven number seven to heaven number six, heaven number five, four, three, two, one. And Moshe Rabbeinu brought the Shekhinah back down to the earth through Matan Torah and through building the Mishkan. So the Shekhinah was brought back down. And this is the ultimate purpose that Hashem says, Bossi Ligani, I came to the place where I used to be. This was my place. This was my chuppah. But I was expelled. And now I came back to this place, Bossi Ligani, That's the opening of the Maimir, the original Bossi Ligani of the Rebbe Dayatz. But in order for this to be more permanent, not just temporary, so right after the Shechina comes down from the first heaven to earth, Hashem tells Moshe, build for me a Beis HaMikdosh, and I'm going to dwell there. Now when it comes to building the Mishkan, the Gemara says Mishkan is sometimes called Mikdash, Mikdash is called Mishkan. He says build the beams of the Mishkan, which is the structure, the walls, Atzi Shittim, from Okeshi Wood, Oimdim standing. So the Mishkan represented a permanent structure where Hashem's presence will have a place in our earth, which is also happens through Moshe Rabbeinu, the seventh Sadiq. But how do you build it? He says build the Krushim. The beams, Krusha means beams. They were made of atzei shittim, okay, wood, and plated with gold, like most of the Mishkan. Omavayer baruches, on the continuation of the Maimer, chapter 3, chapter 6, the Rebbe Dayatz explains, The word keresh is not just a beam, it also speaks about how to, how to bring the Shechina down into the world. V'tachlis, he speaks about kuf, reish, shin, turning Sheker into a Kesher. He's not getting into the details because here is just a sweeping summary of the first 11 chapters. And you build the Mishkan through Atzei Shittim. The word Shittim means Okeshia wood, a certain type of lumber. But the word shittim comes from the word shtus, which means insanity. The Gemara says in Saiter, Ishlakish says a person doesn't sin unless a spirit of insanity doesn't come into their mind. In other words, when a person is very whole, when you're whole, when you're emotionally and spiritually healthy, yeah, a person doesn't sin because a person wants to live life to the fullest. But there's a ruach shtus. We all have insane streaks inside of us. It's called shtus. Shtus means a shtus, narishkeit, folly. Some people call it shrama, some people call it insanity, whatever you want to call it. But there's something broken. There's something broken that allows people to live life in a way that's not only not productive, but destructive, right? Now the worst thing you can ask your teenager who's doing that is, explain to me the logic behind what you're doing. Anybody ever spoke to their teenager and said that? I'm sure some of you had that wisdom, no? Explain to me the logic behind what you're doing. And what does the teenager answer? The Busta therapist. You ever see fathers do that? Simon Masbid the Seichel, right? Simon Masbid the Seichel. Yeah? How many things do you do, Alpi Seichel? <laughs> so, we, the Ruach Shtus is a very real part of life. If you don't, if you don't come to terms with your insanity, <laughs> there's no healing. Every, so, the Rebbe says, Atzei Shittim, it's all about Shtus. The only way you could deal with your insanity is by introducing another type of insanity. 
And that's what he says. The avoid is you need shittim, you need shtus, but you need shtus diktusha. You have to go into a place that's beyond what you have to wrap your brain around. If I have to wrap my brain around things and understand everything, <laughs> if I need everything to be understood, then my life is a very limited life. And unless you're really a perfect person, things are going to disintegrate. You have to have that flexibility to transcend your own Tam Vedas. That's guchtus. You have to know when not to try to wrap your brain around reality and really be present to the full opportunity of something, because those are the opportunities of infinity, of ein soif, of shtus, that help you heal shtus in the negative sense. This is a very, very powerful idea. The only way to... I mean, I could, we could give a, a couple of hours just on this. The only way to deal with the shtus that you see in somebody you love is if you go into your own shtus. If you're not going to go into your own shtus, if you're going to be this rational mathematician, right? I'm not going to be able to hit that spot. Only if you find that insanity in yourself, only if you find that lamayla mitam vadas, you know, like the famous Marshall Taka uh, from this year, you'd base Thomas Tavshin Chavbez, you know, with the lamternish, lamtern shik. You know what the Rebbe Rashab said, what a chassid is, right? You go and you light up the lights at night. And somebody said, and what happens if the person is in the ocean? So you said, Menemta, you take off your clothes and you jump into the ocean. So when the Rebbe said over the story, he said, you have to take off all your levushim. And you have to connect to the atzmiyas of another person through your own atzmiyas. If you're not going to get into your own essence, I'm going to come with clothes. And I'm going to try to save you with my clothes and my sophistication. It's not going to work. So only when you go to a place of atze shittim, yeah, a different type of shtus, beyond what you could wrap your brain around. You have to go beyond your own structure. It's called comfort zones. Then you can heal your own shtus and somebody else's shtus. And this is, and this is how you make a You bring Hashem into the world through building this mishkan, through the krashim of atze shittim. Again, this was a big focus in previous chapters, but here, He's just sweeping through it as an introduction. He goes now to the next chapters. This is the Rebbe's what always I told you. He would give a summation till that year, and then he would move on. And this happens through the Jewish people. Because Torah and Mitzvah without Yidin don't have an impact. It's the Jews that make Torah and Mitzvah significant. This is already chapter 10. They're called Sivis Hashem when they leave Mitzrayim, Taka the Parshis of, of these weeks, Parshis Boy. Hashem calls them for the first time Tzivis Hashem. What's Tzivis Hashem? Tzivis Hashem is the army, but he says, Tzava Yesh Gimel Pirusha. It has three meanings. Tzava Melosh and Anshei Chayel. She Yisrael Iman Shechayel, Malam Ashlim, Ritzen Shemalach, Malachem, Lachem, HaKadosh Baruch Tzava means an army. The Jewish people are soldiers who fulfill the will of Hashem. But Tzava Meloshin's man mugbal. The word Tzava in Tanakh also means a limited time. There's a Pasuk in Iyayv, Halei Tzava, Le'enoy Shalei Aretz. There's a limited time for each person on earth. And this shows how the Avayda has to be done. It has to be done even though Shtus, the Kedusha, but it has to be done with structure. There's a time and there's a place for everything. A soldier is the first interpretation. That describes the person, the conviction. 
A soldier is completely dedicated. You're in or you're out. A soldier, you can't be half in, right? You're not a soldier. A soldier means it's a time of war. You have to be completely in. Not 90%, 80%, 70%. It doesn't work that way. So that's the first thing. But that doesn't mean that you live a life of chaos. The second Pirush in Sava is Dizman. Sava means this, this, everything has a place. Everything has a time. Because with, if not, it's not going to be successful. You're living in a world of structure. And then this tzava lashen tzivyoin v'yoyfi. Tzava also means a mosaic of different colors. She'inyin ayoyfi ba'adei eskalus shal kamagvanam. You have to learn how to integrate the diverse parts of your personality and the diverse people around you, which is unity, basically. Unity inside and unity outside. Those are the three interpretations of tzava. An army that describes the person and his or her commitment. The second thing is the structure the way you work, and the third thing is the ability to be able to integrate. Because the Avayda always happens through integration. Nobody can do anything alone. There's always give and take. There's always, you need other people, you need your partners and friends, community, family, and ultimately all of Klal Yisrael and the whole world. Yeah, somebody sent me today a clip from somebody, a therapist was saying that you know when your child is growing up, so they do the puzzle, right? They finish the thousand-piece puzzle. And what do you say? You say, wow, wow, Yankala, Mendele, you did this all by yourself. Wow, yeah? And then a few years later, he makes himself an egg. Wow, you did this all by yourself. And with every achievement in life, you always make sure to say, wow, you did this all by yourself. So she was saying, so the child understands that the greatest thing in life is to do everything by yourself. Now you grow up, and the spaghetti hits the fan, and the curveballs, like this fan, yeah, this is a good fan, and let's hope spaghetti doesn't hit this fan, and there's curveballs, and what does your psyche tell you? You gotta do it alone, the puzzle you did alone, (laughs) the picture you did alone, the test you did alone, right? You didn't cheat. So how do you, how do you deal with these challenges? All by yourself. The problem is, you're falling apart. You're not allowed to ask anybody for help. You're not allowed to get support from anybody. So this is what the Rebbe is saying. It doesn't work that way. It's not a weakness to reach out to a person. It's actually a strength to reach out to a person. So that's the, the third element in Sava. A soldier says, I'm going to win a war myself. It's a ridiculous. So that's the third element. You always have his skalalus. There's always his skalalus from the word clout. And it's harder, because when you do things alone, you know, you, it's my way or the highway. But without integration, everything remains much more limited. All of this allows us to build that mikdash where Hashem dwells in this world. In other words, where the world becomes, and the person becomes who they really are, which is a place where truth and love is manifested through you. That's what Vishakhanti Basaicha means. After the Baalai finishes the first two Maimadim with this theme, so he just did in one paragraph the first ten chapters of Basi Lagani. You learn from here also how to give a summation of a Maimar. The third Maimer, which is the third set that came out for Purim, 
the Rebrayats discusses the power that we have in order to do this. You can't fulfill a mission without having, number one, the confidence that you can do it, and number two, the ability to do it. First of all, you have to have the ability, and second of all, you have to know that you have the ability. One without the other is not going to work. I can give you the most beautiful mission in the world. If you don't believe you can do it, you will not do it. As somebody once said, a smart man, whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you are right. Okay, think about that. Yeah. That's number one. Number two, you talk You, you, you. The right there. You don't want to sit there. Okay, over there you won't be on the video. Okay, you don't want to sit, fine. As a tzamaimer, will stand. Okay. The Rebbe used to also say, my mother, most of my mother would say with a niggin. But sometimes he would say a maimer with the niggin of a sicha. It had a different niggin. So the oilam wouldn't stand up, but the Rebbe had a brother in law, the Rashag, he was the only one who stood up. <laughs> he saw the Rebbe tying the handkerchief, so he would stand. He was the only one who stood by those maimonim. Stop, interesting. He himself would stand up, everybody else would stay sitting. Because it was a maimer that wasn't in the niggin of a maimer, it was a maimer in the niggin of a sikhas. They wouldn't sing a sing- song before, and nobody would stand up, but he would stand up. He saw the Rebbe took out his handkerchief before to tie his fingers. During the maimer, the Rebbe had a handkerchief on his fingers. The reason was, this is what they told, they used to tell us, I don't know the source of it, that the Rebbe's before they said a maimer, in order to have something that grounded them to the physical world, they had a physical object outside of the body. Because the goof is a merkava, so this was, <laughs> huh? Shouldn't be, shouldn't be uh, not what happened to Nadav and Avi. Anyway, so, so you have to, so, so the Rebbe says the third maimer, the third part of the Hemshech comes to explain the koiches, that Jews have for this Havoidah. You need to have koiches. If you don't have koiches, and you don't know that you have koiches, you fall apart. And everybody knows it, any situation in life. You may be dealing with something. You have to know that you have koiches, that you have to have the energy. And blessed is the person who has somebody who gives them that empowerment, that confidence. You know, sometimes it's just a gaze in the eye. So he gives a general introduction in Sif Yud Aleph, which is the previous year, and he says that our army is always connected with conflict, with a war. The Medrash says that Hashem is called Tzvayis. One of Hashem's names is Tzvayis. Hashem Elikim Tzvayis. Hashem says, when am I called Tzvayis? When I'm in a war. When there's a war against evil, that's when I'm called Tzvayis. So the Rebbe says, what makes Hashem be called Tzvayis? The avoid of the Jewish people as an army. Why are we then called Tzvayis Hashem? He says, because the general avoid of the Jewish people in the world they put it in Yiddish because he can't translate these words. To walk through the world, there's a war, there's a molchama. Life is, life, life is difficult. <laughs> and let me tell you something. The moment you know that, life can become fun. <laughs> if you think life is easy, it will never be fun. It's always going to be disappointing. The moment you say, and you know life is difficult, you're done. You're good. 
<laughs> now you can be excited about it. The worst thing that happens to soldiers is that they deny there's a war. Once they know there's a war, now the best humor comes out. The best humor comes out. The most camaraderie, the most creativity, sometimes the most pain and trauma too. Depends what happens in the war. But the bottom line is that he says that the avoid of Jews, durch gain the Welt, to walk through the world, to work through the world, there's a mulchama. To transform the world, to transform yourself, there's a mulchama. That's what it says in Zohar. That you eat bread on the, on the, on the mouth of a sword. The word lechem comes from the word mulchama. What the Zohar is saying is every time you eat, there's a war. How are you gonna eat? Yeah? Talk to some of us. How much are you gonna eat? Every time you eat, there's a war going on. There's a mulchama. Nama pum But he said it's not just when you eat. All of life requires a certain consciousness. You know, it's like walking a tightrope. <laughs> it says in Yerushalmi, you know, life is a tightrope. You move to the right and you fall into fire. You move to the left, you fall into ice. It's called the right wingers and left. You go too much to the right, you get burnt up. You go too much to the left, you become a cold, a cold piece of ice. So there's, there's a delicate balance. There's a mulchama. That's why you need an army. It's a tzava. And the Rebbe Dayatz explains there's two types of wars. Sometimes a king fights a war because he wants the territory or because he wants the spoils. Sometimes it's not about the territory or about the spoils. It's about Midas HaNitzachim because he wants to win. Now in the marshal, it's very tragic. You have leaders, there's no benefit. I'm just, I have to win. I have to be victorious. It's called Midas HaNitzachim. For what? For when? I have to win. But you're destroying yourself. I have to win. So it, it's, it's tyranny of the highest order. But like everything in this world, just like every shtus in this world, it comes from a very deep place. There's a war that has a cheshben. I need to conquer this territory because there's something very powerful there. Lishlo sholo, like it says in the Megillah, shlolam lovers, we want the booty. We want the booty. But he says there's another type of melchama, that the melech, he wants to be a balabas there. I want to be there. I want to be there. Booty is rational. I want the money. I want the territory. I want what you have. I want the success. Because it's rational, you make cheshboinus. How much should you invest in this war in order to achieve results? If the booty is going to be a hundred million dollars, you're not going to invest two hundred million dollars in order to make a hundred million dollars. You're going to invest fifty million to make a hundred million. That makes sense. There's a cheshbon. What you invest in order to achieve results. Everything in life, it requires investment. The question is, is it worth it or not? You don't squander, you don't squander precious time and precious money and precious mental space to get something that you already had and you maybe you had more. But the second type of melchama, where you feel that your very life is at stake, here there's no cheshbonus. If you feel that your life is at stake, this touches you in your deepest place, so it's not a question of how much you're going to invest. You invest everything. It's not a cheshbon, yeah? A parent wants to save a child. So the question is, how much are you going to invest? 
it's not a business deal. It's not a business transaction. You're going to give everything. You'll take the, if you own a shirt, you're going to, like we say in the Ksuvah, right? The last shirt you have, you're going to throw away. Why? Because it's not already a cheshbin of, is it a good business transaction? Is it a good business venture? It's something that touches you in your etzem. There's no cheshbinus. Yeah, what are you going to give? What are you going to give away? I once heard from Rip Shlaim Azarchi that there was a girl who was on Yechidus by the Rebbe in Tavshin Chafei three years after this, 1965. A teenager said, the Rebbe asked her, how is your relationship with your mother? She said, I'm not on speaking terms with her. <laughs> so uh, then it was still surprising. In 1965, I'm in the of the mamas. Uh, today, oh, you speak to your mother? Wow, okay. It's a, I'm a, a ness. You call her before Shabbos. What, you call her every day? Wow. It was still the minhagar shaloylam that you spoke to your parents and you respected them, etc. So uh, the Rebbe was, you don't speak to your mother, why don't you speak to your mother? She said, she was an orphan god, that your, her mother promised her $500 and she didn't give her. $500 in 1965 was a nice amount of money. It's still uh, not bad for a teenager. So she didn't give it. She, didn't, she violated her promise. So she, I stopped speaking to her. So the Rebbe looks at her and he says, Dem my mama. The Rebbe's mother passed away that year, Vav Tishrei. So this year I lost my mother. How much money do you think I would give in order to be able to speak to my mother again? He asked the girl. So she was quiet. So he said, I would give everything I have up to be able to speak to my mother again. He said, "Hosta mama, the geisish reidim it it's lipfin from the dollar. You have a living mother. You're not going to talk to her because of five hundred dollars." Yeah, so he planted some wisdom in her head, right? You have to know. You have to have long term vision. So you talk to a mother trying to save a child. What What are you going to hold back? You're not going to give up this this dollar. It's a different level. It's a different level. So the Rebbe says, when there's a war that's calculated rationally, you make chishbainus. Yeah, nisht. How much? Let's stop it. It doesn't make sense anymore. Right? That's a rational leader. When you're dealing with a melech who has this midas hanetzach, and I have to win. I have to be the ruler there. And it touches him in his atzmir. So sometimes it's in a crazy way. You know, you have the Napoleons of the world. You know about the yeshus of Napoleon. He had to conquer the whole world. He already, he was the youngest leader in history who, who, who ruled much of the world. Most of Europe was, wasn't enough. He needed Russia. The problem is Russia is too big to swallow. You can't, don't easily swallow up the Russians. Hitler made the same mistake. They all, both declared what they didn't know about the Russian winter, and they didn't know that Russia never ends. <laughs> Russia never ends, right? They always retreat. <laughs> you retreat, you, you, can't, you can't conquer Russia because they always have where to go. <laughs> they, that, that, that's what happens. That's what happened. So Napoleon lost. So that's in Lo'umaza. That's in Narishkeit, in Shtus. But it, now let's take it in Gdusha. Sometimes there's a mulchamash, there's a rational mulchamah. Sometimes a mulchamah that is negated, the atzmiyas of Hashem, that the emes should be revealed. And he says, this is the ratzen hamelech which touches the etzim hamelech, the essence. And over there there's no cheshbonus. You see, but what do you need it for? If it's negated, the atzmiyas, that this should be a dira loyiz barich, that the truth should be revealed there. V'yeda kolpol kiyata piyaltai. So of a person also, the tzava, the soldier needs to be in this eifer. You don't know what's small, what's big. It's, it's, it's full out. The, the person gives everything. It's that type of passion. It's that type of dedication. 
ובשביל זה פוסחים ומבז בזה מסעצס היקרים שיתמונים מכמה דודס, ומויסים ומויסים לפקידי החייל בשביל אנשי החייל, כדי שידי העזר דבזבוז אצס ינצחוס המלחמה ויושלם לצון המלך. The Rebbeiyat says that sometimes a king has treasures that have been in his palace for generations, that have not been seen or used by anybody for anything. This is like almost the crown jewel. You know, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the crown jewel of the king's crown. It's the oysters, it's the treasures that come from generations. They're not being spent, even on important things. These things you just don't spend. These diamonds, these treasures. I don't know if you ever went to the, the Hermitage in, in, in Petersburg, the, the, the palaces of the czars. You go to these palaces, you see the oysters that they collected, the kings used to collect for generations. It's like, this is not for spending. You're going to a regular war that you want certain booty, but you're not going to spend these things that are priceless. The Rebbe says that's all if the Mulchama is a calculated Mulchama. But if the Mulchama is for Nitzachen, that the very life of the king or his child is online, now you take all the treasures and you mevazbiz them. You squander them because even the treasures, even the treasures don't have that power. Everything goes out. Everything. Your last shirt you'll take off in order to save the day, in order to achieve victory. That's the oitzris that he gives to the commanders in order to give to the soldiers on the front lines to win the war. And this is what he explains in chapter 11, and this is a Hagdama to this second, third section of the Maimah Basilagani, that to understand, that every person needs to understand, that to win a war you need Kaychus, and the koiches that are given, these are the treasures that have been concealed in all of history, and they're given to the soldiers, they're opened and they're given, and in a way that the people can appreciate these treasures, because if not, they can't do much with it, they can appreciate it what it is, they should appreciate it, it's the deepest secrets that are given to them, and this gives them the power to be able to win this type of war. So Tilpe Rikud, he discussed, the nature, what the Avaidah is, and the nature of the Avaidah, and from Perik Yud Aleph, it's the Kaychas that are given, and that's why it starts discussing the treasure, the treasure that the king brings out from hiddenness in such a state, and that the people in the front lines receive that, and they know that they have it, and they appreciate what it is, and they appreciate how deep these treasures are, this is what's needed in order to win the war. This is the Rebbe's summation till Perikid Beis. The first 11 chapters of Basilegani, as I said, this was Tavshim Chav Beis. From Perik Beis, from chapter 2, he starts focusing in on chapter 12 of Basilegani. And here, he doesn't give any more general summation. He gets into the details, to the point that he learns through the Perik line by line and explains every piece of this Perik. Now he explains, what is this treasure? He's talking this whole dramatic metaphor that there are treasures that are untouchable. Nobody sees them, nobody has access to them. Use them. This is like the family secret. It's, 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 the, it's, it's the treasure of this monarchy, of this royalty. You don't, you don't, 
You don't squander this. Like this is the family secret. This is what makes us who we are. And yet, for certain occasions, this I also give away. What is this? What is what does this mean? After he said that these are the koiches that you have. So he starts explaining, now he quotes from the Maimah, that's why it's in quotes, The Rebbe Dayat says in Perikid based to understand what is this oitzer. It's a metaphor, but what are we trying to bring out in the nimshal? So the Rebbe is going to explain what's bothering him. Because the whole concept seems strange. I'll explain. Says what was bothering the Rebbe Ayatz is the whole metaphor seems very strange. I understand by a king, a physical leader, or a parent that you sometimes have something that's so precious you're not going to use it for a regular moment, even your needs. This I'm not going to sell. You know, certain things a person says, this I'm never selling. I don't care what you offer me. It's not a house that I'm putting on sale. It's not a car that I could sell. This is something I'm not selling. It's not for sale. It's priceless. Yeah. Somebody asks you this. It's not shaykh. I understand that. He says, ezhalavitim. Ezhalavitim means ezhalavit. How do you say ezhalavit? Huh? No. Stingy. Stingy, but he doesn't mean stingy here. Uh, it's like I can't, uh, it's not something that you, you could give, you know, give me $10 million, I'll give it away. I'm not giving it away. Especially if I got it from previous generations. So I got it from my father, my Zayd, my Elter Zayd, all the way back to the first king. I can't, I can't just give it up. Precious. It's too precious, yeah. It's, there's a malchama, a certain type of war. He says, here, take it. Take this also. Take this also. Like the famous marshal of the Alter Rebbe, right? He said about Chassidus, that when the child is sick and about to die, and the only medicine is taking, you remember, right? The crown jewel of the king's crown and grinding it into a powder and mixing it with a liquid and maybe one drop will go into a system and maybe it will heal him, but it's going to destroy this royal crown. And the king says, what do I need my royal crown? Do it. Just to get this drop into this, this was the, the Pinchas Karitzah saw a bletel of chassidus, and I think in a bathroom, in a laboratory. And he was so upset at the Magid that he allows chassidus to be spread this way. So he had a tremendous kpeda, a tremendous... Uh, he got very upset at the Magid and the Alter Rebbe was there and he saw that Pinchas Karitz has a kpeda, can have a negative impact. So he told him this story. That the king says, grind up the crown jewel so that maybe a drop should go in and save the child. So he said, it's kedai to reveal the deepest oitzras of chassidus, maybe, maybe to save the child. So the Pinchas Karitz are uh, accepted. So we can understand it in the marshal. He says, but what does it mean in the nimshal? That there's something that's a need of Hashem. Right? But still, he won't touch his treasures for this. Because they're concealed. Unless there's a war, and then Hashem will say, oh, take my treasures now. He says, what does it mean that there's something that's the need of Hashem, but for this, he's not going to give you the treasure. And then there's something that's deeper than a need. It's deeper than a need. For this, he's going to give the treasure. And the war brings it out, brings out the... How do you explain this? That's what's bothering 
He's explaining that's what's bothering the Rebbe Rayat's why he says you have to explain what this Eitzer means. So he says in the Maimah Shekadei Love and in Yenoi Tzilamayla Alpi Maimah Natikuni Zoyer Oyrin Soif Lamayla Adin Ketzel Lamata Adin Tachlas. So the Rebbe Rayat says if you want to understand what this treasure is, which this is the Koychus that every Jew gets in order to be able to go through life with tremendous success and happiness and to triumph the Danotzach What's this? You have to know your kaiches. What are these kaiches? It's those treasures. What are this? What is this treasure? So he quotes a statement from Tikkunei Zohar. The Tikkunei Zohar says that the light of Ein Saif, the light of Hashem, is Lamailad in Ketz. It goes up to no end, and it goes down to no end. That's the statement of the Zohar. This time, if you then, after understanding this statement, you'll understand what the oitzer is. What this treasure that we're talking about, that every person is given to in order to complete the victory, to in order to be able to go through life. What is this oitzer? So you have to understand, What's the explanation here? So the Rebbe Dayat starts explaining what it is. What does this, what does this statement even mean? And the Rebbe takes this and, and, and he develops it. He develops it. The challenge here is, what do these words even mean? The light of Ein Saif goes up to no end and down to no end. One second. You're repeating yourself three times for no reason. You just said, Eir Ein Saif. The light of infinity. So, right? So for Uncle Moishi, it works. Hashem is here. Hashem is there. Hashem is truly everywhere. Up, up, down, down. Right? Because for a song, you do that. Right? But for a statement in the Zoyar, if you tell me Hashem is everywhere, so I don't have to say up, up, down, down. <laughs> if you say everywhere, it's up and it's down. So once the Zoyar says, Oyr ain't soif, the Oyr is ain't soif, it's infinite, so you up, up, up to no end. I just realized where, where, uh, where Moshe has got his nigga, and I didn't know he learns the Kuni Zoyar. Up, up, up to no end. Down, down, down to no You said ain't soif. What do you have to now? You said, uh, ain't safe. Ain't safe means there's no limit. There's no end. So it's up, 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 and down, down, down. But he says, no, it ain't safe. By the way, don't think it stops after six floors. It goes up further. And don't think it goes down only two stories. Obviously, spiritually. What, 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 what does this mean? This, need, this needs Hezbollah. Yeah. But in order to understand that, you have to understand what's ain't safe. What does Eir Ein Saif mean? The light of Ein Saif. Let's call it Ein Saif. What does Ein Saif mean? What does Eir Ein Saif mean? If you don't know what Eir Ein Saif means, you kind of know what Lamaila Adin Ketz Lamata Adin Tachlis is. So you have to understand what, you have to understand what Eir Ein Saif is. Okay, so we're going to take a break here. But before, we, before I finish, I just want to, uh, in order to prepare the ground, I'm just going to, I'm going to complete I'm going to conclude the shear just with, pl- with planting this seed so that you should uh, be able to, uh, to think about and reflect as we go into the sugi of what Oyrein Saif is. And the most important part of it is how through this the Alter Rebbe transformed our whole understanding of of, of the world, and therefore of ourselves, and therefore of Yiddishkeit, 
and how it translates into a person's daily life, which which is which is the the theme of this maimer, how the understanding of what the Al-Tareb explained what Eirein Saif means, tr- completely transformed our understanding of ourselves, our world, b'meila Yiddishkeit, and b'meila our mission in this world, and how it applies to a person's daily life. That's essentially. In, in, in two sentences, what the Maimer is going to come to develop. Now, this is a tall order, what I just said, right? It sounds like a tall order. And I was thinking, am I exaggerating? But I'm not exaggerating. I mean, if you understand what Eirein Saif is, what Al-Tarebbe did with Eirein Saif, and you internalize it, it changes everything. It changes everything. So I just want to plant the seed of what, like, what are we going to be addressing? Here's, here's a rule in life. You can't share something if you don't explain what the benefit of it is. Meaning, in yeshiva, sometimes the boys would ask me to learn a toisvis. I said, it doesn't make sense to learn the toisvis if you're not bothered by the question of toisvis. Because if you're not bothered by the question, what am I going to give you an answer? If you don't have a question, there's not going to be an answer. Does that make sense? Huh? An answer is beautiful if there's a question, right? If somebody's not bothered by something, that's why any good presentation has to be introduced with tension. If there's no tension, if there's no question, so, 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 why are you here to listen? Like what? What? You have nothing better to do. Yeah? So if you have nothing better to do, okay, there's probably more interesting things. So every answer needs a question. If there's no... Uh, uh, there's a yid who lives in my neighborhood... That's in another, in another, uh, it's another continent over there, near Forche. <laughs> so, uh, you don't need a passport, but it's a, a stickle on the continent. So, uh, so he told me, he says, you have to do a new, he told me a few, a little while ago, you have to do a new, new series on Tanya. But he says, this time, before you start a Padic, first articulate to us what questions the Altadeba was trying to answer with this Padic. Don't just teach me the panic. I want to know what was bothering him before this panic that he tried to answer. I said, but he doesn't say that. He says, that's going to be your job. <laughs> Figure out the question. Because if not, why, why should I listen to you? Now, the Rebbe says in his Akdama that the whole Tanya is answering people's questions. So figure out the questions, right? And it's, 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 it's right. It's true what he said. It's true what he said. So <laughs> whenever you learn a Miami, you have to, what's bothering him? Like, okay, <laughs> Let's go eat supper, you know. What's, uh, this is a lot to do. That's always the question. Yeah, what, what is the question? What is the question? Now, when, when you understand the question, everything changes. The big question that's going to be addressed is the biggest question of all. And I don't know how to say this in 25 seconds, but I'll try. The biggest question of all is ultimately, who is man? <laughs> Or who is woman? Who, who is really, who is really the human being? I once saw, there was an Israeli writer, his name was Steinman. So he once said, the biggest question of existence is, who is a person? Hassan Domim? This week's parsha. Hassan Domim or Hassan Toida? Yeah, a Hassan of blood, a Hassan of Toida. Who is ultimately, what is ultimately a human being? Is a human being, you know, meat and potatoes. A human being is a is an infinitesimal blimp on the surface of infinity, a real random mutation 
Like we say, Adam, you say the meyafah, v'soysa le'ah, soyfah lova chavak perech v'chachalom yoav. You're a cholom shecholmu acherem al acherem. The only one who takes your life seriously is the IRS and the bank and your shviger. Or is a human being more than that? Around this question, what is really a human being? What is life real? What is life for real? That's, that's one of the biggest questions in life. And the question goes, Lamai Lamai Laadin Ketz, or Lamata Mata Adin Tachlas. But the question goes one step, it's really all of Yiddishkeit is answering that, but it goes one step deeper. And that is, if God is really God, <laughs> if God is really God, which means, that sounded smart, if God is really God, which means, if the Ein Soif is really the Ein Soif, which means, which means, that I can't say anything about it. <laughs> right? So I can't finish the sentence. Which means that, that, there's no way of talking about it. It's beyond definition, beyond description, beyond finiteness. Is there any way that there is a real relationship between human identity and divine infinity? You have to do one of two things. Yeah. Either you turn God into a human being, right? You, you make God very vulnerable. You know, he's not so infinite. He cries and he laughs and he's, he's upset and he's happy. Or you turn man into something higher, the divine. But then, do I become a robot? Do I become an angel? You know, I'm a simple guy. So how do you do it? Or you say, ultimately, just live your life and God will reward you. But there's no ultimate relationship. There's no ultimate oneness. You hear the issue? Either God is really infinite and I remain down here. So either I bring him down or I bring me up. If I bring him down, so then... Is this a game? Is God not really God? If I bring me up, do I stop being human? Is there ultimately at the end of everything, is life about the ultimate unity, the ultimate oneness? The ultimate, is it a story of love? Or is it a story ultimately of disappointment? A story of, of frustration, of alienation? We're going to see that the Kabbalists struggled with this question terribly. And the philosophers also. The Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe, who was an Hashem Chadasha, introduced the word Oyr. And in the word Oyr, the Alter Rebbe felt that here lay the secret to understand the possibility for ultimate unity without losing the beauty of a human being being a human being with all of his weaknesses. And Hashem being Hashem in all of his truth. Which means ultimately, that the lowest and the highest can really experience fusion. And the moment a person can get this, then there's nobody beyond redemption, and there's nothing beyond healing. The moment a person can get this, this fusion, there's nobody and nothing beyond redemption and beyond healing. I know that this was not clear, because I'm just planting a few seeds. And uh, I hope nobody will lose sleep too much on this question. If you do nishgeferlich, it should be the question that you lose sleep on, how exactly this achtus works. But this exact question is going to be explored in the next uh, in the next year, which is going to be Sunday morning, 9.15 a.m. in Ur Yaakov Shloim Meshul. It's a shul. And what's the address? 43 Tamarick Road, that's Sunday morning, 9.15, we'll have the second shear, everybody's invited. 
I thank uh, Reb David Geyerman for opening his home, Rabbi Zaltzman for organizing this, and Mazel Tov for the birth of your daughter, and everybody else for gracing us with your presence. Have a beautiful evening. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.